Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our Passover prep learning series. So for those of you who did this class with me last year, you might remember that this was an hour-long class that went for two hours and 15 minutes or something crazy. <laughs> we're not going to do that tonight. Uh, we're only going to meet for an hour. Uh, but the what I do want to reassure you of, and we're going to go through some of these pieces in just a moment, um, is that even though COVID for us has changed in terms of kind of the the stringencies on our lives, whether that's around masks or distancing or, um, you know, being indoors with more people uh, for some of us, obviously not for all of us, that that the Passover leniencies have not gone away because they recognize that for everybody, that's not the case, right? People are still immunocompromised. People are still getting COVID. People are still financially um, struggling because of COVID, whatever it is. COVID has not gone away. It's just for some people become easier. So many of the, the leniencies that we talked about last year are still in place for this year, which is both wonderful and also, I think, for some a little bit disheartening, you know, knowing that we're going into yet another, quote, COVID Passover. But it means that there are certain things that we've gotten used to over the past two years that might feel a little bit easier than they did five, 10 years ago, but that have become ways for us to also feel like we can do Passover to its fullest, uh, you know, and, and, and still be comfortable, um, with the halacha, with the, with the Jewish law that we're adhering to. So I'm going to show two, um, two PDFs over the course of the hour, both of which I'll put in the chat for you to then be able to print and use and, and reference um, as you're preparing for, for your seders and for the holiday. So one is just the general guidelines of kind of how to, how to prepare for Passover, the koshering, the, the general leniencies, the fact that this year there's a, there's a seder Friday night, but also Saturday night which poses some um, halachic difficulties if you're interested in abiding by, you know, the, the stringency of the law in, um, in practicing, uh, you know, doing Havdalah and then, and then doing uh, the rest of the Seder. It makes for a very late Seder and for some that doesn't work. So there are some um, rulings in that paper that I'll show you that you can also look at. And then the other page, um, or I shouldn't say page, it's like 18 pages, but the other packet um, is just a, a list of items. So I think I shared this last year as well, though they updated every year. Um, it's a list that tells you what things need hexures and what things you could buy now that don't need hexures uh, that, you know, will make your Passover prep and shopping easier because you can do some of it now uh, and not have to worry about waiting for that specifically hexured milk, for example, on Passover. Um, you probably don't want to buy milk tomorrow, but you know what I mean, that there are items that you could buy in advance uh, and use without a Passover hexure very, um, very halachically over the holiday. So we'll go through a few of those items, but then I'll just send you uh, the PDF and you can, you know, go through it and with a fine tooth comb and figure out how that works for your family. So um, any initial questions before I actually open these PDFs? So you like want to make sure that I really touch on? No? Oh yeah, Rebecca? No, you don't. 
Um, we can yeah. go through the whole thing with Saturday night again. Yeah, for sure. We can, we can Especially definitely. if you have young kids. Yeah, definitely. So actually, why don't we, why don't we start with that? Let me open that first. Um, the answer to the, the, you know, the simplest answer to that question is you do what you can so that the kids get a Passover experience. So in my family last year, cause this happened also last year for Passover, um, we did everything we possibly could before the first cup of wine. And then we basically did the first cup of wine and all of the ritual items, um, you know, including mozi and then dinner after the fact, but the kids had eaten before and, and it ended up, you know, being okay. So, but I'll show it to you anyway in here. Um, and we can go over it very quickly. Hold on. Oh, this is the wrong one. No, it's not. I hear it. Okay. Can everyone see this? I can make it a little bit bigger. Okay. Let me see. How do we get a copy of this? I'm going to, I'm going to send it to you in the chat. Um, I will, it's on the rabbinical assembly website, but the rabbinical assembly website is potentially the worst website known to mankind. So I will, uh, I'll copy and paste it into the chat for you to read. So this is, okay. So this is just going over only for Saturday night Seder, um, Friday, just like Shabbat, right? You can start before Shabbat actually starts, uh, and just, you know, you bring in Shabbat with with candles and then you would start the Seder at whatever time you don't obviously don't want to do it too early, but you know, let's say Shabbat comes in at 7 PM. You can start at six and you'd be totally fine. Saturday is a little bit more problematic if you're trying to keep to candle lighting times because you have to do Havdalah before you can actually start the Seder and Havdalah is an hour later than Shabbat is. So, you know, in some places as this is going to refer to here in this packet, 830 is pretty late to be starting a Seder, especially with young kids like Renee was talking about. So you can do many things before before candlelighting. In fact, Rabbi Klickfeld and I, leading a community Seder on Saturday night, are going to be doing quite a bit of the Seder before we actually get to Kiddush, uh, because we're starting at 6.30, and we can't do Havdalah until I think it's like 7.57 or something like that in L.A. So... We are going to be doing lots of Magid. We're going to be doing, um, parts of Hala, uh, yeah, of Hallel and Mirza, uh, because those are things that you do throughout the Seder, but they don't have to be at the end. There's nothing that says that, um, Hallel can't be, uh, you know, you, you don't say Hallel with a blessing. You just say parts of Hallel. So you can do some of the songs of Hallel. Um, without any trouble. And you can also do all of Mirza if you want, uh, at the beginning because it's just fun kid songs is basically all, you know, all that Mirza is. So there are elements of the Seder that you obviously can do beforehand. If you don't want to do things out of order, you can start things a little bit earlier. So it says, um, let me just see what page is on. Sorry. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. So you can, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to read this to you. I always found it very annoying when teachers would just read things because I'm going to send it to you and you can read it on your own, but I'll explain it. There, there are elements of the Seder that even if you don't want to like go backwards or even out of order, that you can do parts of the beginning part of the Seder. You just don't do Kiddush because that's what starts the Seder and you don't do Havdalah obviously until you can do Havdalah. 
But there are certain aspects of the Seder right from the beginning, like Karpas, for example, that you could do if you wanted to before the Seder actually starts. Some people, including Rabbi Klickfeld, don't want to do that because Karpas, you know, the second time around is for the second Seder. But if you are under the impression that there only needs to be one Seder halachically, which is in fact the case, uh, then it's really not such a big deal to eat some vegetables that you would say the same blessing for, you know, tonight when I eat dinner, that you would say at a Seder before the Seder actually begins. So my family last year, for example, we started earlier because there are little kids in our family and we did do Karpas and we did do Yachatz. We did all of Magid, except for the parts of Magid that, that are like very specific to, to do, um, after a cup of wine. So we did those later. Um, and then I think that was it because, uh, wait. Oh, we did Orchatz before we did Karpas. So we did Orchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid. And then by the time we did those things, the kids were, you know, eating dinner or whatever throughout the, throughout all of that. And then by the time we got there, we were able to do Havdalah, light candles, etc. and then do the rest of the Seder. So you can do that, um, which is what this is telling you. The easiest thing to do with a Saturday night Seder is do Magid, right? Just it's a very long part of the Seder and you can do it before candle lighting because you're just telling the story. So start at 6.30, tell the story, you know, have some appetizers if you want, sing some songs and you'll be at Havdalah before you know it and you will have done very large chunks of the Seder. Any questions on that, on how that works? So we would hold off on the Mara and the Chorosit also. Right, so you can. All the stuff that's on the Seder plate, essentially. You can. Again, you know, if you're going to really go by, like, Machmir Halacha, yes. And if you're going to go go into the psyche of a second Seder to begin with, you you can do those things before candle lighting. They don't have a specific blessing for Passover. So you don't want to eat matzah before the second Seder begins, right? You don't want to eat matzah or drink wine before the second Seder actually begins. So therefore, after Havdalah. But all the other things would be the same if I ate them today. So though those elements, though symbolic, don't actually probably matter to do before Havdalah and Kiddush, unless you want to be very, very stringent in, you know, the the diaspora Jewish law of having two seders. So there is some leniency and you just have to decide what's good for your family. Um, but but it's probably okay either way. One is just a little bit more stringent. Tybal. So, I mean, and I don't remember what we decided because last year I had someone coming from Israel. This year it's England, Maryland, Texas, and things in between. Wow. So, and England is five hours. Texas is what? One or two. I don't remember. But the point is when you're looking, and this is even first night, but even second night, when you're looking for the rules of what time do you use? Do you use, I mean, when you can do something, whether it's um, bringing Shabbos in along with the Seder, whether when it's Havdalah, moving, moving Magid first, I get that. But whose time zone do you use? The latest one or the host, the, the leader? The leader. So, you know, you, 
this was never a problem before Zoom, right? (laughs) So you would always go with the leader's time zone because they're the ones who are guiding everyone else. It's everyone else's, um, I don't know, ability or, uh, um, I don't know what another word is, like they're, it's between them and God um, as to if they're comfortable with the time zone that you're in, which they probably are if they're coming to your Seder. And then they're either doing things more in the correct time or earlier than they should be. But they would know that, you know, based on where they are in the world. Again, this was never a problem before before we used Zoom Seder. So there, there's no halacha that says this anywhere. Uh, yeah. No, I know. But yeah. just to say, it's not that Zoom is available. It's for for me. It's I mean, I'm just saying it's a pandemic thing. And thank heavens we have Zoom. Oh, or totally. It would be just it would just be me and my spouse, and that would be really sad. No, no, totally, totally. I'm I'm definitely not judging it. I think it's a great praiseworthy thing to have. Just just I was just using that as a caveat to say I'm making this ruling. But at the end of the day, there's nothing written about this anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, but you know what? I chose to ask you. That's true. Well, there you go. That's right. My- <laughs> um, great. So yeah, you would go with you would go with the hosts um, time zone. Okay, so let's look at this um, relatively quickly now that we've gone through the Saturday night piece. Let me just make you all a little bit smaller so I can see it. Okay. So for those of you who are typically with me on a Tuesday night at seven, and we're talking about koshering and all of those kinds of things, one of the main principles that you'll know is that you kosher something the way that you use something. So that is the same this year as it is any year. Now, in terms of how much you kosher, one of the things that we've learned during COVID is just to kosher that which you need. Don't go nuts. Right. If you once used to host a Seder for 45 people and that meant that you entirely turned over your entire home and now you're just hosting for four people, you don't have to kosher everything that you used to kosher for 45 people. Just kosher that which you need. So maybe that's one pot instead of three. Maybe that's one set of um, silverware instead of all four. Right. Just you you decide what's best for you. And in some households, what will be best and easiest is using paper, right? And not having to kosher um, uh, plates and cutlery. Obviously, you should kosher pots and pans if you don't have specific ones for Passover because you can't use paper for that. Um, but but those, those things are still leniencies in place. I'm not going to go, um, Rabbi Dorf went over koshering last week. So if you're interested in that, it's on the podcast. I'm not going to go through koshering too much today, but I just wanted to mention that because in terms of, um, in terms of how you're preparing, you know, that, that is definitely a big, a big part of it. Um, so I mean, again, I'm going to send this to you. So the fact that I'm scrolling is, you know, I'm going to give it to you to read more in depth. So, Here it says, you know, this year due to overall COVID limitations and in order to limit individuals having to check multiple stores, if you're unable to find an item below with a kosher for Passover certification due to COVID, then here's what you can do. So what this isn't saying is go out of your way to not need kosher for Passover hectares. But what this is saying is if you only want to go to one grocery store to limit your exposure to other people, 
do so and know that these items in this list are okay to not have a kosher for Passover heksher. So that's what this is saying, right? Halacha often does that where it's it's not suggesting the leniency, but it's allowing the leniency if the stringency is not good for you, right? If it if it's not something that's gonna work for you for your family or for this year. So Things like baking soda, eggs, obviously fresh fruits and vegetables, which never need a kosher for Passover hexure. Um, fresh or frozen kosher meat also never needs a kosher for Passover hexure. Um, any kind of nesty tea, um, specifically that, that brand. Uh, then it says here, pure black, green, or white tea leaves, unflavored tea bags, unflavored regular coffee, right? So if you're someone who's only going to go to Trader Joe's, for example, that, that has very limited kosher Passover items, you could get unflavored coffee, which I get from there all the time, and be totally fine with it, even though it doesn't have a kosher Passover hexure. Uh, Just so you know, there are certain people who won't drink coffee that's not hectured. So you also have to think through, you know, other people coming to your home for whom that won't be comfortable. But if you're someone like me, who I'm going to be the most, you know, machmir person who's eating in my home, then I can get those things and be totally fine with them, as opposed to getting, you know, the kosher for Passover brand of coffee, which is terrible and, you know, $85 a can. Um, Yes. So decaf does need a hexure because of its process. Um, I think we went over this a little bit last year, but flavored coffees and decaf coffees go through a different kind of processing. And so they do need a hexure. Um, you'll see on the other list, there's a specific brand of decaf that I think you can buy that doesn't need a hexure, but general decaf coffee would need a, would need a kosher Passover hexure. We bought too much kosher locks last week. Okay to use unopened bags for Pesach. Yeah, hundred percent. Just freeze them um, and don't don't open them. Like don't don't have them near chametz now. Right, freeze the locks and then you can use them. You can use them on Passover, no problem. Um, olive oil, right? I never buy new olive oil. I there. I don't. I don't live in a kitchen, or maybe I should say I don't eat in a kitchen where my olive oil is ever touching anything. And so I never buy new olive oil um, for Passover because there's just no, there's no way that it's being contaminated uh, over the course of the year. I know that some people aren't comfortable with that. That's totally fine. Uh, But, but you don't need to buy new kosher. So you'll use it opened if it's an open bottle of regular olive oil, you'll still use it. Because I don't use the olive oil, like I put it in another thing. So I don't use the the bottle that it comes in for like regular daily use. So yes, I will. It just depends on how you use it in your home. But I'm okay using opened. Um, whole or half pecans. So basically nuts that are whole or halved that you can have on Passover, um, as long as they're not pieces and therefore haven't gone through some kind of grinding machine that potentially had other nuts that aren't okay for Passover um, are totally fine. So if you go to Trader Joe's and you get whole pecans or whole walnuts next week, those are totally fine for Passover, um, which often, often I will do. Um, raisins, they don't have to be kosher for Passover, but they do have to have an OU on them, which is interesting. That has, that has to do with the process of them as well. Uh, so you have to know that they were, that they were produced in a kosher facility, but they don't need to have been specifically produced for Passover. 
Um, kosher wine. This is one that I don't even hold by. I, that I just find it weird to drink kosher wine that doesn't have a Passover hexure. If I run out of wine over the course of the holiday and I have a kosher bottle of wine, I don't mind using it at the end, but for the Sadarim, I only use kosher for Passover wine. But what this is saying is if you can't find kosher for Passover wine, you can use kosher wine um, that doesn't have that pee on it, making it $5 more expensive than it was two days ago. Uh, and and that you can totally use it knowing it's exactly the same. Uh, plain butter, that is that does not include margarine. Um, so margarine is often made out of soy. And so even if you eat kidney oat, that it's not, it's not the same. You have to have, um, you have to have a kosher Passover symbol on it. Obviously water. I always love that water is on these lists because it's just water. Um, Okay, so this is a list of foods that should be purchased before Passover. So anytime between now and Passover, um, because once you buy them on Passover, they should have a kosher Passover symbol on them based on the way that they are produced. Because the halacha around chametz is that there any chametz on Passover is forbidden to you. So unlike... For example, if you come to my to my class on Tuesday nights and we talk about a little bit of trafe getting into a very big vat of something, if it's one sixtieth of that vat, it's totally fine. That principle on Passover does not hold. The one sixtieth principle doesn't hold at all. So if there's any chametz in anything, it's forbidden to you on Passover. So if you buy it before Passover, that rule is is it's what's called a suffix, right? It's it's as if it's doubtful if there's any chametz um, in it because you bought it before Passover. And so chametz, you know, without Passover being uh, something that's observed during that time is just stuff, right? It's just stuff that you can, that you can normally have. So um, hold on one second. Let me just let Karen cast in. Okay, so frozen fruit is totally fine. Plain cheese. For those of you who buy cheese on Passover, you know that it's extremely expensive and goes bad very quickly. If you buy it before uh, Passover, that's fine. You just have to make sure that it doesn't have any added starches or anything like that uh, because often cheeses are caked in things that you're not supposed to have on Passover. So you would want to make sure that they... Um, that they don't have those elements. Um, sugar, salt, quinoa, uh, milk. I don't know why it says white milk. I guess maybe they mean like not chocolate milk. I'm not really sure. Um, frozen vegetables. So th- this, is the, this is the kind of thing that, um, no, plain cheese does not need to be kosher for Passover. So plain cheese um, if you buy it before Passover, it does not have to be kosher for Passover. If you buy it on Passover, it must be. You're so, talking though about hard cheese. As opposed to right? what? As opposed to like cream cheese, for instance. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, though some people would say if it's natural cream cheese and there's nothing else in it, it would be the same thing, right? It just has to be a plain cheese. So it can't have anything in it. If you're buying a cream cheese that's been like whipped or has stuff in it or then no, but if it's just a regular, if the only ingredient in your cream cheese is cream cheese, then that's fine. Um, 
but you just have to look at the ingredients to know for sure. Um, but again, as soon as Passover starts, these are things that you would need kosher or Passover hectares for. So, you know, you just have to decide, are you really going to eat these things during Passover? In which case you can get them before. If you're not really going to eat them during Passover, just wait. And if you do need them during Passover, you go to a kosher market. Yes, Karen, good to see you. Why I had 7.30 in my mind, I don't know. All right. for being late. What I'm asking is, can I download this and copy it? You can. I'm going to give everyone both PDFs that I'm showing you, and you can download them, print them, use them. Totally. Um, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, Bonnie. I I, I don't know how to do that, and do you have to do it? Well, you're still online so that the chat is up there. I'll email it to you. Okay. I'll email it to you. In the chat, when I put it in the chat, you can just click on it and it'll open up in your browser. Um, But I can email it to you. No problem. (laughs) Me too, please. Me too, please. I don't can't deal with the PDF either. Me me three. Me three. We're a certain demographic is checking. It's going to be a PDF no matter how I get it to you. Um, because it's a PDF, uh, but it's, but all you do is, I mean, I can do it right now and you guys can, I'll try it. All, all you do is when I put it in the chat, you just click on it. So if you all just click on what I just put in the chat, it'll open up in your browser and then you can just save it. Um, and if you can't, I will send it to you anyway, but um, just let me know at the end. Okay. So Meat, again, like you, anything that, anything that's been cut, you have to get either before Passover or with a kosher Passover hexure on it. So for example, if you go to Rabbi's Daughter to buy meat, you will find that you can get chopped meat before Passover. And then once Passover starts, I actually don't know if they're open over Passover, but the, the, the kosher butchers will have a different kind of meat to sell you based on how they kosher their their butcher shops um plain non-flavored almond milk um or any kind of milk if you eat kidney oats soy is also fine uh so any kind of this is where ingredients really come into play so almond milk that is just almonds is totally fine before passover without a without a hexure see here's where you see the cream cheese Yogurt is the same. We talked a little bit about that last year, right? The yogurts on Passover, they're like $3 a little thing. Um, you can get regular yogurt. It has to be plain. It cannot be flavored um, for it to be, for it to not need a kosher for Passover symbol. Um, canned tuna. When I buy tuna for Passover, I just buy it from Trader Joe's. I do not buy kosher Passover tuna because it's exactly the same thing, but the price is just hiked up. So just buy it in water beforehand. Um, maple syrup, agave. Again, these things need to be pure. So it would have to be 100% maple syrup. Salt and pepper, decaf coffee. So this is, um, uh, I think this was Rebecca's question, right? It just has to be plain and not, and not flavored. Um, but, and you can get it before, but you cannot get it during. Um, margarine. So if you, if you eat kidney oat, it's okay to get margarine. Um, but it has to be, it has to have a hexure. It doesn't have to have a closure or Passover hexure. Um, pure honey, dried fruit, uh, club soda. Okay. Any questions on this? Is quinoa kidney oat or not? No. 
quinoa is not kidney oat and everybody should eat it because it's a great source of fiber and protein and easy to make and filling and all those things. A few years ago, I actually made a, a, um, a quinoa crust for pizza instead of like a matzo pizza. And it was really good, but very dense. Like you could only eat like one and a half pieces because it was like eating an entire bowl of quinoa. Um, but it was really, really good. And if people like to play around in the kitchen, uh, as I do on Passover, it's, it was a fun recipe to be able to make. Um, okay. So kidney oat, um, if you are spices. So, um, Esther just asked if spices need to be kosher or Passover. Spices do not need to be kosher or Passover, but, but depending on how careful you are with your spices during the year, they should either be unopened or they should be spices that, that you don't use around chametz during the year. So for example, like, not, you know, some people have like a container of salt that they put their hand in. That's not okay for Passover. But if you have like a can, I don't know what else to call it, a container of like rosemary, for example, and the only way that you ever use that is by sprinkling it, you know, a foot away from from the potatoes that you cook throughout the year, that's totally fine um, to be able to use as long as it's pure a pure spice and not mixed with anything else. That's totally fine. Some people would say you need to buy new spices for Passover. I think that comes from a time in the world where we didn't know how things were created and cross-contamination was possible. It really isn't anymore in our day. I do not buy new spices for Passover um, because I just, I don't use them close to anything. If I have a spice that I know, and I don't, but if I were to have a spice that I know I only use with bread, for example, I might choose, even though, you know, your spice thingy is not touching, touching bread, typically, I might choose to get a new one of that just because I know that the connotation of it in my kitchen is that it only is used around hummus. But for the most part, our spices are not used in a contamination type of um, way for Passover. So I do not get new spices. By the way, a lot of Passover, and I think Rabbi Dorf talked about this last week, though I was in the South and did not, I was not at his class. Um, a lot of Passover comes from custom and family tradition. So if you are someone who always buys olive oil every year, or you are someone who always buys spices, it's possible that came from a place of halakha. It's also possible that came from a place of like, that's what my grandmother did. My grandmother never did that, which is probably why I don't do it. Um, but, but so much of what we do on Passover comes from like your kishkas, right? Not so much halakha, but really like what you're comfortable with in terms of the tradition itself. Um, zatar. Zatar has to be, well, I don't, I shouldn't say has to be. I, I would, I personally would get za'atar kosher for Passover because it's a blended spice. Um, that would just be my my suggestion. I also only use it for like hummus and for bread. So for me, those things are not things I'm eating on Passover. Um, so uh, I'm just going to the chat. Sorry. Great. Karen is making us all matzah pizza. Thank you so much for that, uh, that offer. Uh, okay. You can read about kidney oat, uh, on your own. I just don't want to spend too much time on it since I know not everybody does it. Um, these things are probably pretty obvious to you, but always need a kosher or Passover hexure. So 
anything containing matzah, any kind of baked item, chocolate milk, herbal teas, ice cream, right? Those things need um, need hectares. The one thing I would say herbal teas is on here. Often the reason that it says herbal teas is because if they've been opened before Passover, it's possible they've been, they've touched chametz. Look at your herbal tea that you have in your house that's not yet opened. And if it doesn't have anything in it other than like tea leaves <laughs> from chamomile or whatever, it should be fine. Um, so that's the one caveat I would give to this. I would never say that Rabbi Aaron Alexander is wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but I think even he would say this, this is on this list because often tea bags just sit around your house. But if it's an unopened box, very often something that makes up tea is not chametz and therefore is totally fine for Passover. Um, liquor does need to be kosher for Passover. Uh, just so you know, tequila is kosher for Passover. So if you're a tequila drinker, um, you, you should be fine. Uh, and if not, enjoy your potato vodka. It's bad, but enjoy it. Um, uh, but okay. tequila doesn't have to be hechshered. It does, but you just, it's easy to find. Um, okay. So we went over these. I'm just going to stop my screen so I can get to the other one. Any questions on that while I'm just switching PDFs here? I can't see you. So just, if you have your hand up, just talk. Okay. Um, so this, what I'm going to show you in just a moment, um, is a much longer document and goes into much more detail. And the document itself also goes through how to kosher. So those of you who were not on with Rabbi Dorf last week or just want something in writing, you can, you can listen to him on the podcast and look at the, look at the, um, the packet as well. But we're going to start with food. Okay. So these are obviously prohibited foods. I don't think this comes as a surprise to anybody. Um, what some people think is that even if you find gluten-free biscuits, for example, or gluten-free cake, that it's okay, that's not necessarily the case. Um, sometimes it's the case that gluten-free something is totally fine for Passover, However, there are other additives in gluten-free products that might not be okay. So, for example, I, um, because I work with Rabbi Kligfeld, who is whole food plant-based, um, I've come to know many gluten-free items at Trader Joe's. Many of them have oat in them, which you cannot eat on Passover. Many of them also have um, like binding agents that you wouldn't want to eat without it being kosher Passover on Passover. So don't just assume, oh, this pasta is gluten-free and so I can eat it. Totally fine. Not the case. Um, there are some pastas that are gluten-free that you can eat on Passover if you eat kidney oat, like lentil pasta at Trader Joe's or quinoa pasta at Trader Joe's, I believe are both okay um, if you eat kidney oat, but you have to look at ingredients very carefully for those things uh, because it's it's not just the case that gluten-free means Passover approved. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Oh yeah, Helen, go ahead. Just unmute first. Right. Sorry. Um, kidney oat. What's the reason who you see if you eat kidney oat, you keep saying if you eat kidney oat, you can do it. Yeah. 
I always thought it was Sephardic Jews who ate Kitneo and Ashkenaz who didn't by custom, but I'm getting the feeling that's not the way it works now. Yeah, so it it is predominantly the way it works now, but the conservative movement, I think it was in 2015, I want to say, passed a tshuva that said that Ashkenazi Jews are allowed to decide that as a family, they are going to eat kidney oat if that's something that's going to provide them A, more nutrition and B, you know, ease of Passover. The reason that most people don't still in Ashkenazi homes is, again, just based on tradition. And as my grandmother says, I just can't imagine bringing it into my house, um, which is fine, right? Uh, you know, seeing garbanzo beans for her on Passover would be really hard, whereas... For me, it sounds delightful to be able to have garbanzo beans on Passover. So that it really just depends on if it's a comfort for your family to add kidney oat. The reason the kidney oat back in the day were not okay for Ashkenazi Jews is because the the place in which they were produced was often a place that, that was too close to potentially be contaminated with hummets. And so now in today's world... It's just not how food works anymore. And so if you buy garbanzo beans in the grocery store, there's no way that those garbanzo beans were also made with rice, right? Or actually mm-hmm. rice is okay, <laughs> but garbanzo beans were made with crackers, right? There's just, there's no way that wheat was being milled at the same place that the garbanzo beans were being shelled. So that's that in today's day is now fine. Some people choose to eat kidney oat and some people choose not to eat kidney oat. Um, my family, when the, when the ruling came out, I was in rabbinical school and I remember my, my dad's a diabetic. And so, um, uh, Passover is often very hard in terms of protein. He's just eating meat a lot, um, which is not, you know, preferred for most people to just constantly be eating meat when you can get protein in other ways throughout the year. And so my mom said, can we eat kidney oat? And I said, yeah, sure. I I personally have no problem with it. My grandmother really didn't want to do it. And then because rice are kidney oat, we had family friends who made fresh sushi. They went fishing and they made fresh sushi on Passover in our house, which was totally fine for Passover if you eat kidney oat. And I just couldn't put the rice in my mouth. <laughs> I just could, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I think the thing that we, that we are constantly forgetting is that Passover is one week long. And, you know, if you, if you really want to eat rice, great. If you really want to eat um, lentils, fine. If you really want to eat garbanzo beans, okay. And if you can go without them for a week and it's more trouble than it's worth to have to figure out whether or not you're going to eat kidney oat, just don't eat them for a week. Um, but that's, that's why I keep saying that because it is, it is permissible. Um, but not everybody holds by that ruling right now. Okay. Um, that tradition, was tradition. Exactly. Exactly. It was a long answer to a very short question. Okay. So, oh. <laughs> Funny that you said that because here are kidney right here. So when I send it to you, you can also read on it and then ask me any questions that you have. Let me see if it says the year though. Uh, since I, yeah, 2015. It was 2015 because I put the, I went fast and put it in the chat. Oh, great. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um, okay. So, 
Okay, so we already went through this list, right? The no Pesach Hekshar required beforehand. Um, sorry, at all on Passover, then no pe- Passover Hekshar required um, before Passover. Uh, so this is, these are the items, again, we went through this already, but all that are always needed in terms of a Passover Hekshar. And then you get into little, th- yeah, Jeff, go ahead. I don't understand if you could buy quinoa the day before Passover without a Passover hexer on it. Yeah. Why two days later, if you were going to buy it, it would have to have a hexer. It's the same quinoa. Yeah, it's a great question. Because there is a principle that says that you cannot find and you cannot see any chametz in your home on Passover. But that's only for Passover. So it's a little bit of a legal fiction that if you buy it two days before Passover, any chametz that potentially is in that quinoa, which again, we don't believe that there is or we wouldn't allow it to come into our home. But if there were potentially a any chametz in that, the ruling of 160th applies. As soon as Passover hits, that ruling no longer exists. And so anything that potentially could have chametz in it is now chametz. So you have to buy a thing that has a kosher Passover hexer on it. This is why I always suggest that people buy those staples before Passover. Number one, it's cheaper. Number two, it's just so much easier because they might be things that you can buy in a regular grocery store as opposed to like Glot Mart, which is just, I actually like going to Glot Mart right before Passover. People think I'm nuts, but I think it's fun because it's so crazy. Um, but but going to Glamour right before pa- Passover is like going to the Shuk three minutes before Shabbat starts, right? Like it's just an insane thing to have to do. So if you're comfortable buying these things before Passover, then definitely do it because it's it is a leniency that's completely kosher and allows you to be prepared without having to spend more money and go to Glamour. <laughs> um okay. Um oh all right, so the here, here go, I know that none of us are dealing with baby food in our, in our lives currently, but just so that you know, things like baby food, right? Or actually Renee, Renee's kids are, um, baby food and medicine, right? Things that are in your household that aren't, you know, to you food, but are still being consumed. Um, medicine, you should just talk to your doctor, right? If there is a, if there is a medicine that you're taking, for example, that is made with chametz, but you need to take it because it's your medicine, you take the medicine. Like no one would ever tell you not to take that medicine. And if they did, they have their priorities misaligned. Um, so you should take the medicine, even if it has, you know, flour in it, which I don't know how medicines are made, but I'm sure it's possible there's chametz in some different kinds of medicines. Um, in terms of baby food, sometimes you can find coach for Passover baby food Buy baby food, right? It's the same as dog food, right? If you are going to be feeding an animal or feeding a baby, neither of those creatures, not to compare them, obviously are, um, are mitzvah abiding creatures, right? A baby does not need to keep Passover. You do. So as long as you're not eating the baby food, and even if you wanted to put it in a separate section of your home, that would be okay. But you don't have to go crazy to either make your own or find kosher for Passover. You don't have to do that. 
If it makes you feel better, by all means, it's just why it's why people buy kosher Passover cream cheese, right? It just makes them feel better. It's not necessary, but if it makes you feel better, do it. And, you know, and great. But just know that the most important thing is to feed the baby. So if the baby food is baby food that has something in it that potentially you wouldn't have in your home on Passover, try to keep it in a different section. Don't taste the food before you give it to the baby. But don't worry about the baby eating it. That's no problem. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, so... This was one of my favorite things to discover during rabbinical school was that some things that you don't eat, you'll find in grocery stores to have a hecture. Um, anything that is not edible does not need a hecture. You don't need to buy sponges that have hectures. You don't need to buy cleaner that has hectures. You don't need to buy... I think my favorite one was silver polish that has a hexure. You, you don't need to buy those things. You really don't. If you want to, because that's what your grandmother did, by all means. The reason they sell it is because some people feel like they need it. You don't need it. You really, really don't need it um, because you're not eating it, right? And the whole idea, and also aluminum foil isn't being made with comments. So Balyire and Balyimse, the idea that you can't see it and that you can't find it, aluminum foil is not a problem, right? You're, you're gonna, you're not gonna find chametz in those, in those products. Um, even if you're not eating them, you're not gonna find chametz in them. So don't, don't go crazy when you see a sponge that has a kosher Passover symbol on it. You don't need it. You really don't. You can buy a regular sponge and you'll be fine. You should use a different sponge than you use throughout the rest of the year, but it doesn't need to be kosher for Passover. Okay. Um, I think this is just the bio now. Okay, great. So I'm again, I'm going to send you, I can even do it right now. I'm going to send you this PDF and you can go through it at your leisure. Hold on a second. Um, and I'm happy to answer any specific questions. Does anybody have any questions about types of food or how, where to buy the food or when to buy the food? Anything like that? I put a couple questions in the chat. Oh, great. Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Yes, you can. So Batia asks, can you use an unopened box of matzah left over from the previous year? A hundred percent you can. Um, I did that last year. The matzah was stale. Didn't know that matzah went stale, but, um, so I threw it away. But, uh, but yes, you totally can as long as it's unopened and it hasn't been like, you know, sitting with your crackers. Uh, it should be totally fine. A gluten-free matzah, what do you suggest? There is great. I actually prefer gluten-free matzah. It is so good. Um, Yehuda sells it. You can get it from Glotmart, which again is, you know, crazy. Or you can probably get it from Ralph's. You can also probably get it online. Um, but Yehuda is the brand and it's so good. It tastes like Pringles. It's really, really yummy. So def- definitely get it. And people who are not gluten-free should also get it. Um, yes. Yeah, so aren't you not supposed to own a chametz? Okay. So Rebecca asked the question, you know, in terms of selling your chametz. So we as a shul allow you to sign up on basically a petition of sorts, I guess you could call it, um, where we sell everybody's chametz to our security guard, to Ralph. Uh, and we actually just explained this to him today. He was 
very excited until he realized that he would have to buy it back and then noticed that it wasn't as exciting as it sounded. Um, but uh, we we sell it to him. And then at the end of Passover, he gives it back, we hope, to us. And then it's no longer yours. So um, the the way in which you do that. So for me, for example, I put it all in one cupboard that I close up and I don't use during Passover. And then on the sheet of paper where it says location of chametz, I put where it is. And the whole the legal fiction around this is that if Ralph wanted I don't know, goldfish crackers that I have in my cupboard, he could come to my cupboard and he could take them out because they're his. Um, so they can be in your house. They just have to be sold. You don't want to see them and you don't want to find them in your food, obviously. So they have to be hidden or just put away, um, but they can exist in your in your home. They just have to be sold through um, this legal uh, system that we have to, to sell our hummus. So it was actually a follow-on question talking about the baby food or pet food. Yeah. If you're not supposed to own hummets, isn't that problematic to have some things that you're using? Totally. Which is why some people just keep it in a different part of their house, right? So that it's not in your home. Um, It is. And I think that there's just similar to anything in life, right? You have to feed your baby and you have to feed your pet. So unless there's a way to find those things easily that are kosher for Passover, you just do what you can. And then you, you, you could sell them, right? You could sell them as part of this legal fiction and recognize that no one's actually going to come for your baby food. And so you have sold them to a certain extent and you're going to use it. What I've seen in my life is that people just keep it in a different part of their house that they're not using during Passover. Like the laundry room or um, like my grandparents used to always keep the dog food in like a, a cupboard and during Passover, they would keep it in the garage. So just having it in a different part of the house so that your home really doesn't have the chametz in it, um, but rather a different location. But you're completely correct that you're not supposed to, not supposed to own it and not even supposed to see it. So um, other questions? I'm just looking in the chat, but I don't see any others in there. Any any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? Anything about Passover in general? Questions or comments? I learned how to save a PDF. You taught me how to do it. I did it while you were doing it. So thank you. Amazing. I have to remember it the next time I have to do it. But, you know, for now it's there. Great. Great. I'm so glad. That's wonderful. Any other? Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Good. So, because we have kids coming, um, we often, and probably will this year, make artichokes so that the kids can continue to dip and eat during during the Seder so they don't get quite as restless. Awesome. Yeah. So on Thursday, I'm actually teaching a class on how to do a creative Seder. And one of the things that I talk about is how to feed kids, you know, during the Seder such that they can stay attentive. <laughs> um, and adults, actually, I think that it's important for adults to be able to eat too. In my house, when we were growing up, we had all different kinds of appetizers to be able to eat until dinner. 
And when I was living in Israel, the family that I was having Seder with did something even kind of more pointed towards the Seder, which was all of the appetizers, all of the appetizers were karpas. Karpas is anything that you would say bore priha adama over and anything you can dip. So potatoes, artichokes, celery, carrots, um, cauliflower, broccoli, right? Anything that has that um, has that blessing associated is totally considered carpas. We only think of parsley because that's what's used, but you can have French fries and ketchup and for carpas, and you can have carrots and carrots and guacamole. You can have jicama and salsa, right? Like you can, you can become very creative with how to make carpas like a real appetizer hour. And artichokes are a great one. I've never done that, but I love artichokes. Um, and you could continue to have people eating up until dinner with those things. And it keeps, keeps people very, very engaged. So one thing yeah. that we do is we, um, we make a crudite. Yeah. And have it dipped in, um, baba ganoush. Amazing. And another thing is we take artichokes, cut them in half, scoop out the inside. Yeah. So- Inside, and I make a little salad out of chopped colored peppers mm. and olive oil. Yeah. And it looks pretty because it's the colored peppers. And it, yeah. Another thing, um, we offer an option of a half a grapefruit. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. The other thing that I heard last year is for people who eat peanuts, um, like celery and peanut butter, great one. Apples and peanut butter. Apples don't have the same bracha, but you know, if you're gonna, you're gonna have other things that have the bracha, you can then go off the deep end. Um, but yeah, peanut butter is a great one also. Uh, yeah. Um, then if you do all these appetizers though, what happens to the dinner that you slave over? I mean, people usually eat it. I, I mean, it usually is just keeping the kids contained and also, I mean, I don't know. My family always ate tons of appetizers and did very well at dinner. So. And you have more leftovers that way. Yeah. Right, right. Um, Taibo, go ahead. Um, a comment and then a question. So the first year in the pandemic, we were supposed to go out of town and didn't. So it was very last minute and there were things weren't in the stores anyway. So for Carpus, the blessing, we use banana. Yeah. And I learned earlier today, it turns out that was the tradition of a literature rabbi, Rabbi Mordechai, tights. And because in part he wanted people to know that hadama and not ha'ets is what you say for banana. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, um, but what I wanted to ask you, because I like every year to buy uh, one or more new Haggadahs, and I already am doing the Marshall Falk, but I wanted to ask if you had any Haggadah recommendations. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I have so I have an entire shelf in my office dedicated to Haggadot. I I always I go on Amazon every year and just look to see what the new Haggadahs are. Um, yeah, I would just I don't even know where to begin. I can try to take a picture tomorrow of my um of my shelf and send it to you. There's um there's a Harry Potter Haggadah, there's a comic book Haggadah, there's um, a women's Haggadah, uh, there's like a Haggadah for everything. I, I would just, I would just look up Haggadot and see what looks interesting to you. 
yeah, I, I have no specific recommendations, but I'll try to give, I'll try to send you a picture of myself. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you an email to remind you, but what's a good day in theory that's less busy than any other day? Ha ha ha. What's a good day that's busy? Like I wouldn't send it to you on a Thursday because Shabbos is coming and you teach on Friday. Oh, oh, it doesn't matter. Any day is going to be the same. <laughs> oh, I'll send it. Yeah. Um, all right. Any other questions? Esther, did you want to ask something? No? Okay. Questions, thoughts, comments? All right. Um, this was much more efficient than last year. Last year, I feel like everyone was very very nervous. And so we went for a lot longer. Um, on Thursday, I'll be teaching a class in person about the creative Seder. Um, I will try to somehow record that. Uh, it won't be on zoom because there's just too much interaction to put it, to put it on zoom. I was, I was nervous about how to, how to keep both audiences engaged. Um, but I'll try to record it if possible. And, uh, and if you can be there in person, that'd be awesome. Um, we'll be at Betham for that at, I think it's also at seven though. Don't quote me on that and, uh, have a great night and I will see you all soon and happy early Passover shopping. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Betham, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.